Greetings and welcome to another Monday and another powerful episode of Good Gas Mondays with me, Christelle Tomlinson. Thank you so much for giving me your ear for yet another couple of minutes to share with you a powerful story, some good vibes, good energy to power you through the week ahead. We do it on a Monday because we know Mondays are the hardest day of the week after a lovely Saturday, a restful Sunday, and you kind of have to jump back into everything and pretend like you're ready and ready to go emotionally when sometimes you're just not ready yet. So we're hoping that this episode will get you ready for a powerful and emotionally healthy week where you have the right kinds of ideas and mindset to enjoy this journey we call So I'm here with someone who is familiar to me, right? Her name is Kamala Forbes and her story is multidimensional. We're going to talk about her surviving domestic abuse, her job now in physiotherapy and weight management. She's a salsa dancer too, and also the author of The Sweetest Conspiracy, mother of three, and a strong political voice, at least in the social media space. If you're not follow Right Mango, you have to follow Right Mango, because it's sweet for real. Kamala, how are you? I am fine. I'm Good fine. to have you. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Anytime. Anything for you, Priscilla. Thank you. So, well, introduce yourself now to my listeners. Who is Kamla? Outside of the accolades, how can we describe the energy, the passion, the power that is the right mango? All right. Kamla, a.k.a. the right mango, is just a loud mouth from the barn. <laughs> I was born, when I was born, my parents said they gave me the nickname Screamla because they would stay in the adjoining community and hear me screaming. Wow. Yes. So at a young age, they sent me to, uh, they thought something was wrong with my hearing. So they sent me all over the place to check my ears because they said, why this child talks so loud? Anyway, I eventually went into performing arts where I learned how to moderate my voice, my speech. But I always wanted to go into journalism. I wanted to do a lot of things. I want, I'm a dancer. So my parents tell me, say, boy, I dance, I don't make no money, you know, so you can't really dance. So they said, go to, to university. My mother is a physiotherapist. Okay. So I grew up seeing her in physiotherapy. I grew up in sports therapy. She works with athletes and footballers. And she's involved in sports. So she kind of grew me in that. So I said, you know what, since I don't know what I'm going to do, because since them tell me say, I can't dance my way through life, let me just go to you, this university thing and do physiotherapy. So that's how I ended up doing physiotherapy. I had a little stint as a model. And while I was a model, I used to work out at Spartan. And I got interested in fitness and nutrition. I went into um, Miss Spartan Body Beautiful, bodybuilding, fitness, Miss Fitness, all of that. And so I kind of fused that with physiotherapy. But as I graduated from UWE as a physiotherapist, I went to Edna Manley because mm. I just wanted to dance. So I always dance right through. Now, in terms of me and my political voice and political activism, me did have one grandmother. They used to call her the Lion Lady because she was such a dynamic political activist. And I spent a lot of time with her as a child. And basically, it was instilled in me. It was instilled in me. So I grew up in the politics and I grew up advocate. I saw her advocating for the rights of the poor, the disenfranchised, especially women. She was very, very active in the women's movement. So I followed, I basically, Kamala is a melting pot of her family, really. Everything that's family and a little bit of me, because none of them can dance. Only me alone. <laughs> 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 
science, physiotherapy, right. and grandma for, for politics. And activism, definitely. Okay. Right. So we have been talking quite a bit about emotional um, health and wellness mm -hmm. on this podcast because it, it's sort of your primer. You know, before you, you, you paint the house, there's something that you have to do first. Just to make sure so the coat of paint will last long and look good when you finish up. We want us to to appreciate the importance of being emotionally healthy, understanding how we feel, why we feel the way we feel, and how those feelings help us to put on weight or take it off. Right? It helps right. the muscles to regenerate in physiotherapy or exactly. not. How you transmit your language in dance, all of that depends on emotional feelings. It's like the internal wiring. Exactly. How would you describe your emotional landscape? You know, do you find yourself experiencing um, the best kinds of emotions as you dance? Politics yes. tends to bring out a lot of angst and angry yes. people. Do you find that that space makes you, you know, more in tune with the negative emotions than yes. the positive ones? Talk to me about it's that. It's so right. You know, um, I am very guided by my emotions and politics does bring out the worst in us sometimes. So the dance, for me, dancing actually is the buffer. It has to be the buffer because... I only come alive when I dance, really, but I come alive in another way with politics. So it's like yin and yang, you know, it has to, something, if you do too much of the politics and you don't sit, take a step back every now and then, it's like it consumes you, you know. And as I said, I'm very, very guided by, by my emotions and being an emotional being, it manifests itself physically, you know. Um, this year has been a very emotionally traumatic year for me. Yeah. My three children were very sick. I nearly lost my eldest to dengue. Actually, we had, so it's been up and down. And I mean, I'm an emotional eater. And even though I am a physiotherapist and I do nutrition, you know the and I'm a weight management specialist, I still put on 20 pounds while my children were sick, you know. And instead of beating myself up, I embrace it and say, here what? You say, we're about to start a new year and we just have to reset myself because emotionally, I'm exhausted. Mm. Come, I was literally on an emotional roller coaster with my three children. So as soon as one RL, you get one out of the way and yeah, one second down, the next one. And then when you finish with them two and you say, all right, but breathe, the next no. one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last one was the worst and nearly, like, literally nearly lost my child. And so I have not recovered. And so I decided to take the rest of this year to recover emotionally before people start trouble missing my fat. You understand? Yeah. So that's just one example of how emotions manifest physically. It, it manifests not just physically, but in terms of mentally to how you cope. Mm -hmm. Because I find that I'm unable to function because my emotions are all over the place. And it's it, exactly, you can't, you can't, there's no balance, you can't focus because you're, your brain all over the place. So let's, let's dig up into the early years of Kami mm -hmm. now. So we, we understand that you're able to even pick up now that you're an emotional eater. Mm -hmm. But when we're younger, we don't have a very good understanding of our feelings and what they mean and what they cause us to do, what we, what we allow to happen to us because of just how we're feeling on the inside. What are some major lessons that you learned growing up? It may be related to emotional wellness, mm -hmm. it may not. But what are some key life lessons that you learned in childhood? that you needed in order to move to your next level? 
in childhood, I real I was a very sheltered child. I my parents only have have two children, so just me and my brother would grow up in a very sheltered cocoon. So basically, when I hit the world, the world literally boxed me over. When I actually understood what living adulting was like, but. What I learned from my childhood is the is family, the importance of family. You understand? Because I'm telling you, um, basically because of how I grew up, I understand why it is so important to stick by your children so rigidly, especially in Jamaica today. But I learned that you are nothing without a support system. You understand? It is so important to have because trust me, it's whole heap of times me would have crumbled if I didn't have somebody to hold me up. And it don't have to be your actual family, you know. It can be people who are like family because you've built those relationships. So building strong bonds is very important and I learned that from a very young age because, you know, we have the cliches saying, the little cliche sayings that no man is an island and it takes a village to raise a child, all of these things, but it's so true because if you want to be able to go through some of the roughest challenges in life, some of my challenges, if me never have a strong support system, I would have fallen by the wayside a long time. Now, you, you did have an experience, and you can tell us about the length of it, the nature of it, mm -hmm. and the lessons in that, mm -hmm. with domestic abuse. Yes. What in your childhood do you think made you a, a victim, no survivor of that kind of a relationship? Could you, could you have seen it coming? Now that you stand back at the end, what is it that happened early out that made you emotionally available to that kind of relationship? I think it's the fact that I was so sheltered. Because I grew up in a household where my parents had a perfect marriage. I've never seen my parents argue. I've never seen my parents fight. My father has never slept out. I, I don't have any um, other siblings. It's just the two of us. We're like the picket fence family. And so it just did not occur to me outside of that that these things are possible. Because I've never seen it before. So that is what made me so emotionally available because I expected to go through life finding the same experience with the first person that I fell in love with. Are those the rose-colored glasses that people yes, talk about? Yes. Like things go so well yes. and you see the world is just exactly. everything is good and it's all nice and it's mm -hmm. all fancy. That's exactly it. And you know, you see the signs, but then you ignore the signs because you are so focused on keeping up the appearance that everything is perfect. That you ignore the warning signs and the thing is I was involved with my ex-husband from a very young age so it's not like I had any experience I didn't, I didn't have any sisters growing up and so the, oh, my, the only real experience I had to fall back on was the experience between my parents and that was so healthy it was that a you couldn't imagine an unhealthy one exactly no one, one of the things that you find in, in positive psychology is the need for us to have what they call emotional diversity. Mm -hmm. So you have to be angry some of the time to appreciate your joy. You have to be sad some of the time to appreciate when good things happen to you. You have to be without to appreciate when you are with. Not having those moments of bad. And we're not saying that anybody wants to be abused, right? Yes. We're not saying that we needed to see a mother and your father exactly. go through something rough and difficult for you to appreciate it. But in not having to deal with anger in the home and you know, watching them go through an argument and then resolve it. You wouldn't have had that example to draw on. Definitely not. Definitely not. 
and you know 2020 hindsight is really something because looking back I can say that being such a sheltered child I really ended up going through everything that most children go through at a, during like children who experience bad things in their childhood I experienced most of them in early adulthood it's just that my parents happened to shelter me from it at a, in one phase of my life but it's something I believe that in terms of destiny when some lessons are go need to be taught to you, you are going to learn them no matter what stage you are mm -hmm. in life. If you are supposed to learn a lesson, you are going to learn it. Fine. It fine you. The lesson fine you. And so, my lesson fine me. How, t tell me about that, that, that marriage, that relationship now, the lessons that you were able to pull from there. All right, so I ended up being with my ex-husband from I was a very young age, from teen, from high school days, you know, he was... At that time, significantly older. No, it's not really much of an issue because it's like a 10-year gap. But the thing is, being in that situation, I didn't have any other relationship to compare it to. So everything that happened when I was being cheated on, I didn't have anything to compare it to to say, okay, this is not the norm. You know, the warning signs that would normally go off, um, I didn't, it, because I was so young, it just never went off. And what I, were some of those signs that you missed? What, what would the emotional happen? abuse, you know, um, basically instilling in me that he's doing me a favor by being with me. Mm. You understand? And sometimes I would see my father look and say, why are you allowing this man? My father never liked him. And I used to wonder, I, but to me... Nobody's ever don't gonna like, exactly, no, nobody's no, ever no, going no. to be good enough. So I didn't, it, I, I didn't look at the signs. Every, I, I say to people all the time, even in my, write, in my writings, that I can look right back through that relationship and I can see warning signs at every interval. There's a warning sign. There's a warning sign when we were just involved. There's a warning sign when I was pregnant with the first child, how we had the first child before we got married. There's a warning sign before we got married. In, there are warning signs right throughout. Like God was guiding me to choose a different path. I'm just not listening. I'm just not listening. I'm going on the wrong path, the wrong path. They keep taking the wrong path until it reached the point where the emotional abuse became verbal abuse and the verbal abuse became physical abuse until it reached a point where we, we basically fight. We had, we were, because I'm not the type of person to call down easily. And we were at the point where it became physical fights, you know? So I guess that if I, um, I should look back on it now, there are points that I should have left that I didn't leave. What fears do you think kept you longer than you should have been? My children. And it sounds so cliche, but the truth is I wanted my children to have, have what I had. Two loving parents. But in the long run, I realized that I was so unhappy. I was depressed. And it was affecting me, me being a mother to them, you know. And it's a friend that I have, a very good friend that looked at me one day and said, Kamala, what are you doing? You are in a dysfunctional situation. Somebody literally had to like slap me out of it from because it was like I was in a trance. I was acting as though all of these things were normal. 
you know and so she had to somebody a third party had to step back and say come that these things are not normal it's affecting by this time our eldest child started acting up you know it's affecting him so i had to make the decision to find a way out mind you there are several times that i separated from him but he would always find that way no matter where but this man would find me you know he would always find me and then weasel him way back in and then say boy i want him family all of that and then we go back to square one yes it start with the womanizing the drinking the womanizing the the, the the fights for no apparent reason you understand and basically it was his need to allow to, to to make me accept the fact that he would never be one of us and that's where most of it stemmed from and i didn't want i have two sons i didn't want my sons having that kind of value system i didn't want that i think that was the scariest part for me and my daughter I didn't want to be weak in her eyes. When I look back at it, I think, yes. You needed to show her that courage yes. for her to, yes. to model it. To model it. So, so, so in the moment that you're experiencing the fear that is keeping you in that relationship, there's another fear of underperforming maybe as a parent, yes. you know, that you use to, to count and to pull you out. Exactly. Of Interesting how fear can kill fear. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Tell me tell me that moment now where you had your catalyst, your transformation, where you decided that it, it just not enough for me here so anymore. And I tell this story so often, but that moment is when I realized that when I caught him again in another act of um, infidelity, I wasn't angry anymore. I wasn't upset. And I think at that point, that was August 31st, 2013, I remember because it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was emotionally, no longer emotionally attached to this man. And so it was just a matter of me finding a way to move on with my life. And knowing from past experiences that he would never ever allow me to move on, it was a matter of keeping up appearances until I could leave. You know, I did a blog post recently about leaving the man without him knowing that you're leaving him. You know, and how important that is because we, we're in an environment now where we see so much domestic um, killings. Even today, there's a domestic killing where people fight and we heard on the news that this woman asked this man to move out and they were fighting and he basically stabbed her in her neck and killed her you understand and so if we learn to control our emotions and think things through rationally it makes it so much easier because we can plan we can plan mm -hmm. how we are going to do it because i mean this man is violent he's been violent to me before if i get up and say listen i'm done with you i'm over I'm leaving it's gonna start a fight if we start a fight there was one particular fight where my son ended up being injured as collateral damage i never want that to happen again you know so it was about timing and planning and so august 31st 2013 in my mind my marriage was over we still were in the same space. We still had to do things together. We still had to cohabit for the time being. But at that point, I did not. It no longer mattered to me that he was unfaithful because I know that he's unfaithful and it's not going to change. This is like what? The 12th woman 
I mean, obviously, it, things will, it, this is it, you know? So I started working on me. I wasn't dancing at that time. I, I, I went back into my dancing, because that's always my escape. I started finding um, things to do by myself, extracurricular activities, hobbies, everything, engage my mind, focus, to build my, myself emotionally. And I started focusing more on my children. And I think he felt that I was pulling away. You know, so by the end of 2013, we started fighting again because at, by this point in sense that I'm no longer emotionally attached to him. You know, so going into 2014, I said, listen, we're fooling ourselves. It don't make no sense. I actually moved. I wasn't even staying at the house anymore. I was staying with my parents, which was my, we were living in Spanish Town at the time. My parents were in Kingston. The children are even going to school in Spanish Town, but I prefer to drive them to Spanish Town to school every day than stay there. You know, till eventually, it's like the more I withdrew, is the more, I mean, he would find me on the road and start confronting me. And so a friend, there was an opportunity for me to go to Nigeria in 2014. And I thought to myself, I don't want to leave my children. Listen, Ebola is now over there. <laughs> me not going to Nigeria and leave my picnic them. So I called him and I said to him, there's an opportunity for me in Nigeria, but I don't want to go. And I know that you can do it and you'll do it well. I'm giving you, my, I'm giving you the ticket. You go. You understand? And I funded a one-way trip for him to go to Nigeria. Because what that did for me, it allowed me to recover emotionally. You understand? Because by this time, it was about April. Yeah, April 2014, thereabouts. I was tired of the confrontation because obviously we're separating and it's like he's not admitting it, he's fighting it. And so it gave me the space that I needed to just break free of all of this emotionally, just physically, everything and move on. That is such an interesting approach to separating yourself from somebody. Yeah. You are trying to go. And remember, that's mm -hmm. always the call to action, you know, pack up your things, ladies, and leave, leave, right. leave, leave, leave. And no matter how you're leaving, fine. You're yeah. leaving, fine. You're leaving, yeah. fine. He'd stay at my, if I go and I stay with my parents, he would stay the whole night at my parents' house. Yeah, I, I remember separating from him already and moving to another property that my parents had and pack up and leave and, oh, we fight. Oh, yeah, man, go on, go on, go on, whatever. And within four days, <laughs> he's back and he's camped out there and he can't get in and break the window. He literally broke the window to break into the house because so these are the things I used to have to go through it was so emotionally toxic yeah you understand so I mean you, you it, it had to be different it had to be different and so your approach is listen go and invest in yourself yeah. go and see the world yeah. go and take on this opportunity and you bought yourself with that one-way ticket you bought yourself the room yeah to release a lot of that toxicity exactly and to heal and I did heal you know, the person I'm, I've moved on, the person I'm with now, um, was such a, an instrumental part of that. We have been friends from 1999. And it's so ironic that I actually fell in love with him because we have been so close for ages. And he was such a big part of my healing in that him live at the mountain top, we would say it all the time, he live at the top of the garden top. And he would just take me up there for walks, 
for just clear my mind. It's amazing how just a trek through the hills can clear your mind. And he would just carry carry me up there and say, This is therapy. And we just walk. Walk by the river, up and down, and every I got I got fitter, started losing it it had so many it had so many effects on me, you understand? It, it really helped me emotionally and that is how I was able to like just refocus and it's not easy because people think when you leave a, a marriage it's easy no you have to start from scratch you have to literally start from scratch and that's what I think that is why so many women are afraid to leave because you now have to start over you have to start your life over from scratch because we're we're intertwined yes. now you know my money is your money exactly. my house is your house my car is your car exactly and I lost everything I, yeah, I lost everything I lost, I lost my car, I lost my house, I lost everything. And then at the time, he was so vindictive at the time as well. When he, by the time he come back and realized, he was so vindictive. I lost everything. I had to start over from scratch. What were the new fears now that you had to confront in this rebuilding and regeneration of Kamla? Basically, the, the new fears that I have to confront now is if I will be able to return my children to the lifestyle that they were accustomed to. You know, when I was married to him, um, before I had to basically take them and run and start over from scratch. You know, if I would be able to achieve financially what I had before, you know, I took a plunge, I started a business, um, went out on my own, and it's been rough. So most of my fears are centered around providing for my children. Because I have three children and I'm basically a, almost a single parent. And is he, is he in contact with his children as well? Yes, and it was nasty. And the thing about it is he did not understand that for me to heal and move forward, I had to speak about my experience. I had to make it. Because having it bottled up inside of me, even though I look like I move on, it still was eating so at me. you need to talk about Yes, you know, to so get it out. Yeah. And I started, I'm, I'm writing a book about it, and I started doing my blog posts about my experiences. And he came on and he started confronting me, you, you understand? Started attacking me. And I think we are at the point now that we are cordial. Um, we go through the whole custody battle and everything. And even though I have custody of my children, I still allow them to, I, I, I still allow for him to be involved. Because they want their father and they want to see daddy. So fine, I have to I have to be the big big enough person to allow them to have that relationship because that is healing for me as well. So basically I'm at that point emotionally where we're cordial and he's he's involved in their lives as you you know, as their dad. One one of the things that we do as we, we walk out of that darkness, yeah? If it's one step at a time, doing the thing that is still uncomfortable, that you really want to stop doing, but because you have to plan, you have to strategize, we're going to walk this walk for now, but we just do it until I can get to where I need to get. What did you tell yourself in that period from August 31 until you got him to go to Nigeria in 2014? What were you telling yourself as you made dinner for him, as you did the laundry for him and cleaned up behind him and all those things that you still had to do as you were planning your exit, what did you have to tell yourself? I told myself that I was doing it for my children. Because, as I said, we had 
big fights and I didn't want the children to experience that anymore. So I had to, the end game had to be the welfare of the children because before that, going into that holidays, I had behavioral issues with our eldest child who was now in high school. And coming out of second form, going into third form, the school said, listen, you need to do something about this behavior. You know, and so we had to get him a behavioral therapist and who happened to be a very good friend of mine and she said, she was the one who said, listen, when it's his environment that is affecting him. You're in a violent household, you're in a toxic environment. You need to get the child out of it. So always in my head, the end game had to be the children, especially my eldest son. Right now, we are inseparable. My eldest child and I were literally, in, up to last night, we, we caused my care and go party. He's 18 now. Took him to our party. And I had to go back for him in the middle of the night. And we couldn't find him friend. He wouldn't leave his friend. So I had to make the round like a taxi and drop him friend them all over the place. So my, but it, my, I live for my children. And anybody who interacts with me knows this, that this is all at the end of the day for them. You know, I have to get up because it's a whole heap of time I feel like give up in them. A lot of times I felt like just this just not worth it. But then when I think about the children, yeah. they are even I mean my youngest is eight years old and him not live no life yet. You know, and they are so attached to me that I know say I have to I have to make it okay for them. I don't trust anybody else to raise my children. There is a conversation that eventually comes up for every mother especially and I'm sure fathers have these kinds of thoughts too but as a new mom I also feel myself just taking back all if not most of the ambitions that I have for myself and just starting to prioritize all the dreams and stuff that I have for my, my yes. little girl now. and psychologists at some point tell you you can't do that you have to put back yourself in the mix but I think it's part of this broader truth that as parents, we are far more likely to change for our children yes. than we will change for ourselves. You are so right. So Kamala knew that the relationship was toxic and Kamala knew that this was not a very healthy thing. But until you needed to change it for your children, mm -hmm. that sense of urgency wasn't exactly. there. Brendan Bashan wrote a book about high-performance habits and he says one of the things that high-performers are able to do is to raise that sense of urgency. Yes. Sometimes it's our children, sometimes it's financial um, ill health, sometimes it's our parents who need us. Yes. How are you using that sense of urgency now with your children to do other things? Boy, I've started my business because I realized I used to be a drug rep. Used to drive up and down and talk to doctors about medication. I did that for a long while. And you know, it allows a certain lifestyle because we're well paid. But at the, at the back end, you don't spend a lot of time with your children, you know? And I realized that at one point the helper was raising the children because when the job says go to. Puerto Rico, for, for instance, or Bahamas, you have to go, or Cayman, wherever they send you, you have to go. I used to spend at least one week out of every month in Montego Bay working. At, and I was at a point now where I have three children, and these people want to send me to two out-of-town. I needed to do two out-of-town runs for the month. That is 
two weeks out of every month away from home. You know, so eventually that take a toll, but then you now have to balance, all right, well, how the bills going to get paid. Yeah. You understand? So it's how do you prioritize now? So this prompted me to start my business. You know, I had to think outside of the box because I mean, is either you go work as a physiotherapist, is either you go work with government or you start your own business. You understand? Or you go into pharmaceuticals. And the best option to just be there for my children. My children needed a mother. And especially since now I was a single mother, they needed me more than ever. I couldn't be driving all over the place and allowing help after help because as soon as one have a problem, and I may have one helper who tell me she's not coming back because I don't have dietary in the room. My goodness. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> and so if new personalities is coming exactly. and going, coming and going. It's not healthy. And so I don't have a helper anymore. I used to have a living helper for you. I don't have that anymore. I raised my children, myself, and with my partner. And with the extended help from my family members, you know. And I find that they're so much more settled. They're settled. They're focused. It's so much easier than all over the place again. You know, as it was before when I was up and down on the boat. So certain things you, sometimes those sacrifices, you have to make them for the children. And I remember when all, I was going through this ordeal, I lost my car. The car was in both my name and my ex-husband's name. And the bank repossessed the car. And I needed a car to work. And um, I remember working so hard in that week. It was about two weeks I had to rent a car. And I was able to work enough because, you know, we work on commission. And I was able to repurchase a car in two weeks, literally, but based wow. on the commission. Because I needed to take my children to school. I think even more that I can't take taxi go work and, and thing, but I need, them, I need to carry my kids to school. And that was the biggest driving factor for me now. So I made the money. It's not, it wasn't the car that I had before, but it was enough to get them to, from point A to, to point B and start up back and build. So when people attack me, because I didn't get a lot of attack, A, that's why they call me the right mango. Right. So when people attack me, they don't know the story of where I am and why I don't I no longer have the, 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 the pretty Honda Civic. And I know I started back with a little Nissan. And you know, I have to build, start from, I have to start over and build myself back up. You understand? It's just my journey that I have to go through. But I am not going to put, put myself out to this lifestyle when I have a child that is now in college, you know. And I have another one who is in high school. And then preps may have one more in a prep school. And prep school fee, expensive, you know. So... We have to prioritize. Priorities. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. So, so you move now into um, well, practicing because you're all, already trained in physiotherapy. Mm -hmm. So now you're practicing full yes. time. Full time. This is your your yes. business, your mm -hmm. brand, New Body Solutions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell tell me where that road is taking you now. All right. So I started New Body Solutions in 2016, and I mean I've had two very good years. Um, my niche really is weight management, you know, I help people to basically achieve their body image goals. Um, it's been rewarding, I've worked with a lot of people who have, because I'm based at a medical center with 
um, mostly gynecologists. I'm at Winchester Medical. Oh, right. So I have a lot of gynecologists. About 12 gynecologists are where I work. And I get a lot of people who need to lose weight for other reasons, whether it be health reasons or some of them want have infertility because of the, weight. the, the excess weight. And so me, me gone 10 babies this year. <laughs> As I tell people. Yeah. So it's been rewarding in more ways than one. And people... I like that the fact that I can change how people think about feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've been overweight. I am overweight now because of my own struggles. But the thing is I can relate because I have been there and this is what I use to inspire people in my journey. Listen, obesity is not a one time thing that you're going to fix overnight. It is a constant struggle. It is a, a day-to-day struggle. It's, it is about making important choices and about not beating up yourself if you fall back. If you gain certain, there are certain things in life that you have to accept that you will not be able to control. You can't control every experience. It's about how you overcome the challenges, right? So if you are, if you're battling obesity, it's about making those small little change, those little changes that can affect your overall health because it's not just about your weight it's about your health the lifestyle lifestyle. it's a exactly it has to be a lifestyle overhaul health i think has taught me the biggest lessening discipline health and fitness Mm -hmm. the biggest lessening discipline when you talk about consistency you see where they can get where we today we do the work and tomorrow we do the work but the paycheck still come Mm -hmm. nothing for your body exactly you have to remain busy what are some of the, the lessons in discipline and consistency? All right, especially for, for weight management. You have to be disciplined, as you say. Um, but the thing is, as I say to my patients, we are human beings and we make mistakes. My journey may not be your journey. We may have instances where we end up back to where we're coming from or are close. It's about how you start again. Right? That is where your consistency has to lie until you get it right. Don't be too hard on yourself. You are a human being, just like everybody else. And just because Jane down the road lose weight, lose all of her weight in two months, she lose 50 pounds in two months, you don't know what, you don't know what she do, or you don't know if she's going to put the time back, you don't be afraid to lose 10 pounds a month mm-hmm. or 5 pounds a month or even 2 pounds a month until you get to your destination because Jane's journey is not your journey, right? So that's how I advise my patients where discipline is concerned. It's about making small changes. Every year, for instance, I give up something. I haven't, I, I stopped eating red meat um, when I was about 19. I do, every year I give up something. I no longer eat rice. I haven't eaten rice. I'm going into three years without rice, January, right? So I say to my page, I'm going to try again to give up sugar because I start, sugar, I'm an emotional eater, so sugar for me is like comfort food. I've given up sugar before for extended periods of time, but somehow you fall back into sugar. Sugar is the greatest addiction, by the way. And I am going to give up sugar again in January. So I say to my patients all the time, don't try to don't try jump into the diet, the entire diet one time. Baby one. steps, one step at a time. If you know that you like like 
coffee and you have to drink your coffee every day, three, four cups a day, cut it down to one cup a day. Don't try to just stop drinking coffee. You're going to have a problem. Yes, you're going to have a problem. One cup a day until you can do one cup every two days, until you can do one cup per week. And after a while, you realize you don't need it anymore. It's the same thing with, any, with, with rice. It's the same thing with flour. It's the same thing with sugar. Cut down gradually until you achieve your goal. Now, we're wrapping the interview, but I want to pull from your life some lessons that you'd love to pass on to your children. If daughter or son one day comes to you and says, Mommy, I'm about to take on life. What, what, what knowledge can you give me before I walk into this world? What lessons would you want to pass on to, My to, children. to your children? And you can split them up like mm -hmm. this lesson for daughter, this lesson for son. For, for my eldest son, be less impulsive. <laughs> he got that from me. <laughs> you know, he's very impulsive. He's a lot like me. And I would want him to sit down sometimes and think about what you... Just sit, breathe, step back. Step back and think things through properly. Be less impulsive. If I could tell my younger self that I would. And for my daughter, my 12-year-old, be less controlling. <laughs> she, she now has gotten the overachievement and she's a high achiever. Breathe as well. Um, slow down. You don't have to win at everything. You don't need to come first. You don't need to be number one. You don't need to do everything to perfection. You are a human being. Slow down. And boy, my, I don't even know what to tell my, my, my youngest child. My youngest child, he's a character unto himself, but he's so intuitive and he's a smart child. I don't, I'll figure that out later, but um, if I could collectively tell them anything, I'd basically ask them to respect people. Respect, I think, if you respect people, if you think about how other people feel, you'd make better decisions, how your choices affect others. And I think that is what we're lacking in Jamaica today. We don't respect other people and we're not empathetic as a people. As a nation, we lack empathy. We can't think about the plight of the other person. We're unable to put ourselves in other people's shoes. You know, so whenever you are making decisions, think about how your decisions affect other people going forward and I think that's the lesson I would want my children to learn from me and what fear will you never fear again huh. like you're done with that fear they know like may I did a role but we're not afraid again what fear are you never going to fear again domestic abuse mm -hmm. you know I think I, I think I keep that fear the abuse the emotional not even so much physical abuse, but emotional abuse, which people think the physical is the worst, but it's the emotional abuse, emotional abuse is and worse. The, the fear that you had that kept you there was what? Yes, the fear is basically the fear of, have, of keeping my children cocooned, like uh, I don't want my children exposed to certain things. But, you know, we, we're doing it, we're living, we're living, you know, we're getting there one step at a time. You know, and I, I, I don't, I think I fear being broke or pauperized <laughs> because at the end of the day, you're in a, I'm in a business now, I'm, I no longer get a salary. And so 
we we have to I have the your, your, every morning there's this constant fear am I gonna make money today it's a real fear you know so I think that is one that I've yet to kick but, but, but one thing that fear is not gonna lead you is back into an unhealthy no 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 and I am with somebody now who respects me you understand and I think the fact that we are best friends before we were even partners has a lot to do with it because I know his struggles he knows my struggles and we respect each other's space some of the things that we I used to do before I don't even think I'd ever the things that you do in a relationship when man say you're knocking on all of them something I don't have that problem no because first and foremost we are friends and so I don't even know what to now. We've never had a fight, actually. We've never had a fight. We've been together now for four years. We've never had a fight. And do you realize that by, by seeking to not be perfect, you have now found that perfect union that you yes. spoke about with mom and dad? Yes. And, that, and it's, it is so ironic mm -hmm. that I just let go and relax and I'm there. You know, it's no. I can say truly that yeah, my relationship now is comparable to what my parents have. I've never seen them fight. My children have never seen us fight either. We don't argue. We we, we don't. I mean, we're almost boring now. Apart from the fact that we dance and we flip and spin, but apart yeah. from that, we're kind of boring. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kamala Forbes. A survivor, true champion, moving now into the realm of entrepreneur, mother of three, and we can call her a champion for those three. I, I love about her story that she has prioritized the need to set a good example for her children versus the need to provide perfect shelter or perfect parenthood or perfect lifestyle. What was important for her? Is setting the right example for them to follow. So that's it for this episode of Good Gas Mondays. Thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to sharing with you another powerful story in the next episode for this podcast. Send us your comments. And if you know anybody who has a powerful story, who have walked a journey to killing fear, send me that information. Email me at killfearnow at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And remember to click subscribe if it's your first time tuning in. Subscribe share the link, share the story and share the power with somebody else who just might need it. Kamla, how can people find you online? I'm on everything social media. <laughs> okay, so Facebook it's Kamla the Right Mango on Instagram it's Kamla underscore the Right Mango on Twitter it's at Kamla Nicole uh, what else may they find now? Where else people YouTube. use? YouTube. YouTube, yes. I'm on YouTube as website. Kamla the Right Mango. Mm -hmm. yes. Any website? The website is KamlaTheRightMango.com. <laughs> and if you want some physiotherapy support yes. now, if anybody's trying to get back that health and wellness Definitely. balance, how do they reach out to new you? New Body Solutions. Same as with Kamla. It's everything NewBodySolutions.com and it's N-U-B-O-D-Y. N-U-B-O-D-Y solutions. solutions. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything. New Body Solutions. And the number for New Body Solutions is 876-909-0980. Fantastic. It was my pleasure and honor to have you with us, Kamla. I am absolutely certain that the points in your story that were meant for the listener, they got it. 
Thank you. Whoever it is that needed to hear that today, they heard it, they've received it. And what I like to tell people is you're going to just drop it in your lesson bag now and take on the road. Once you've learned the lesson, act like you learned the lesson. Definitely. Me not like when people learn the lesson and <laughs> act awesome. like they've learned the lesson. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure, believe me. All right, stay tuned. More coming up in Good Gas Mondays. And remember to send us an email, follow us online, follow me at Crystal Tomlinson, follow us at Kill Fear Now on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We continue this journey to emotionally healthy lives. Love and blessings. This episode of Good Gas Mondays was brought to you by Megamart, best value by far. If you're in Jamaica and looking to grab a copy of my book, Kill Fear, The Art of Courageous Living, then be sure to stop by any Megamart store across the island. Megamart Waterloo, Portmore, Mandeville, and Montego Bay.